Hi, I'm Pastor Gabe with the Reborn Church, and welcome to our podcast. I pray today as you listen, the message would inspire you, encourage you, and strengthen you, and give you a craving for righteousness, to pursue holiness with God-glorifying ambitions. I have a blessing to the reader, the hearer, and doer, and doer of his word. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. The words of Peter, inspired by the divine author, which is the Holy Spirit. We thank you for its teaching today. And Lord, how you care for your sheep. You care for the elders. You care for the under shepherds. And you care for your church. Care for its liturgy and ecclesiology. Thank you today, Lord. Let us leave today continuing to become stronger and stronger as witnesses to the rest of the world. We thank you, Lord. Lord, help me speak today without error. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Church family in, you may not be seated, yes. In life, we're always being led by somebody. We're always being led in every area of your life. I can remember when I put my kids in sports, in the local sports programs, their leaders were one we did not know. So sometimes when we put our kids in sports, we are trusting the coaches to lead them. But how they lead them is another thing. When we put our kids in school, of course we expect our teachers to teach them. Sometimes they help in leading them but how they lead them is certainly beyond our control. Today, I wanna talk to you about my position, then I'm gonna talk to you about your position, then I'm gonna talk about all of us and how we are to respond to these positions. Right away, and as Janice read, Peter is relaying a message to the elders of the church throughout Asia Minor. Elders that he himself includes himself as one, but yet he titled himself as an apostle. But he wants to relate to the reader that he also is an elder or a bishop or a pastor. And so he's relating this to the pastors of the churches and the troubles that they face, but also the complications that they face sometimes in church. And so right on the onset, if you have your sermon notes, the title of the sermon is called The Healthy Church. What makes a healthy church? Are you in a healthy church? Did you ever go to a healthy church? Church has been known to um, have different types of teachings, different types of theology. Uh, They structure churches differently than probably what, uh, if you have never been churched or you are the unchurched, I say you are truly blessed that you didn't encounter a lot of the things that some of the churches do. You have certain types of churches that have what was called the anointed leader. The anointed leader is the one that is absolutely anointed. You are not. You're not to go near him or touch him. He has bodyguards. He might sit on the chair up on the stage and have to make an appointment to come see the anointed one. And so churches are structured like that. Then there's the other type of church where 
it sort of ran like a business. And the pastor is then hired to tend to the flock of the church. And when he's hired to attend to the flock of the church, if he's not bringing in the numbers and people aren't filling the seats, then they begin to look for another pastor that might be able to fill the seats and bring up the numbers. We have these different type of churches that are structured. And are those biblical structures for church? No, there aren't. But does God use it? Sometimes he does. I, I, I tell you that God can do amazing things even through bad churches. And so we have these seasons that we go through at this particular time in different churches. And sometimes the people get hurt at churches that are structured like this. And when they, when they do get hurt, there's nothing more painful than being church hurt, as I've come to find out. People get church hurt, and because they get church hurt, they don't want have anything to do with church again. So they say, I'm going to learn my Bible at my home. I will have church with my family at my home. Well, you should be doing that anyway. It shouldn't take something that hurts you in church for you to do that. You should have been doing that from the onset. So... You have different types of churches, but what is the healthy church? Let's go to the text. And Peter's going to remind us some of the guidelines of strong leaders need to possess to produce healthy Christians. Number one says this, I mean, verse one says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I'll, I'll stop right there. He says, I am an elder. I am a pastor just as you are, but I'm exhorting you. I'm encouraging you. Um, pastors need encouragement too. Uh, we need a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of pastors that start out and say, I'm going to start a church. They start a church and when troubles hit, they're no longer pastoring and then the church folds. I had one person tell me once that God had said to call them to be a pastor and he said, I'm only going to pastor until I can fill the place, and if I start to see that the people don't come, then I know that I will close the church. That's not hearing from God exactly. So pastors, the encouragement, these are pastors that have come together as, as, as one to encourage one another to help them to continue to fulfill their assignment in shepherding the flock. So again, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. This is Peter. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter witnessed amazing things, but yet he used the witness of the sufferings of Christ here to connect himself to the pastors here. So we know Peter saw the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. Wouldn't that be something to write about? Saying, I saw Jesus transform himself right before me. I will write about that, but he didn't write about that. He didn't write about even the fact that he saw Jesus after the resurrection, that he ate with them, that he talked with him. And, and, and Peter having denied Jesus three times. And so right on the onset, if, if, if you remember John, the book of John, verse uh, chapter 21, after Jesus ate breakfast, breakfast with them, hung out with them for 40 days before his ascension, to the heavens tells Peter three times and it's not coincidental that he tells Peter three times feed my sheep feed my sheep and he asked Peter do you love me and Peter says your Lord you know that I love you and then Jesus responds says feed my sheep he asks him a second time he says Peter do you love me 
Lord, you know that I love you, he says in John 21. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Finally, a third time, he asks him once again, Peter, do you love me? And then Peter responds, to paraphrase, why are you asking me over and over again? You know that I love you. Jesus responds, feed my sheep. Are you my sheep? No, you're not my sheep. You are the Lord's sheep. He said, feed my sheep. Peter was a pastor, builder, a, a bishop, an apostle, but the sheep did not belong to him. He's the under shepherd. You belong to Jesus. Jesus is your chief shepherd. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. It's about Jesus. You belong to Jesus. If I tell you what to do through the word of God and you don't listen to me, then that means you're not submitted to Jesus. And so then you can do what you want. I can tell you what to do, but you can do whatever you want. I can't tell you what to do as your pastor. I can read the word of God like I'm exhorted and poured to do is to give you the word of God and word for word give you the word of God, not give you my own thoughts on it. But I'm going to give you this and that you take it, you receive it, and you listen to the chief shepherd who said to Peter, feed my sheep, you belong to Jesus. I'm part of the sheep too. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd as well. And so he doesn't use the witness of the resurrection. He doesn't use the witness of the transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus is revealed and you see the radiance of God on God. But he says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He's saying, I'm an official witness called to testify about God to the sheep. And so as pastors, we are called to feed you the word of God. A healthy church is a church that gives you the word of God in the text here. That is a healthy church. But there are churches that won't even touch the context or even won't even touch, open up the Bible. But you'll jump around and jump around to excite you and get you excited. But a healthy church, the only way that you are going to become stronger is if we read this to you, break it down to you, and then you apply it to your life. You get knowledge and then you understand the wisdom of God. You get stronger in your day-to-day -day life because trials are going to come your way. And so we are called to feed you the word of God. I am called to feed you the word of God because you belong to Jesus. And he says, feed my sheep. So a healthy church is one that will break open the Bible and read the Bible with you. It's really what church is. You know that we are the church. Amen? Amen. Wherever where we go, we are the church. This is a building where we are gathered to come together as Christians. And Christians are called to come together to gather, open up the Bible, and read it together, study it together. And you are to apply it to your life. That's church. That's what the church is about. It really isn't about smoke machines Huge TVs, although we, I, I would love to have one. <laughs> it's not about darkness, light shows, all these other things, and then we just barely read maybe one scripture, and then that is it. Well, let's read a few scriptures so that you can understand the Bible. And I pray that you read the Bible. I pray that you are reading the Bible, that you are going home and you are studying your Bible, that you have your TBN off and your Bible open. Amen. 
and you read and you study and you don't just take my word for it you take my notes here and then you go and you find out if it's even true because if it isn't true then you can come to me and ask me a question and I can't tell you well you have to make an appointment with Lisa to come see me Barry, give me a chance to go find out if I said what I said is right. I'm going to come up here and prepare myself to feed you and make sure what I'm saying is in here and that my ideology, because I'm required by God, and I have a lot of accountability to make sure that we are a healthy church. Let's continue. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of who? Of God that is among you. We are required as pastors to care for care for you, to protect you. Somebody once said to me, they go, uh, why, why is it that, that sometimes, and he just happened to come to, a, to our Bible study where we're preaching 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in those, in those passages, in that word, it's really John warning his, the Lord's flock from wolves that come in with deceptive words, wolves that come in with different doctrine, different theology, wolves that come in to try to lure the sheep away. So our job is to warn you. That's why sometimes when you go to a different church and you ask, can we visit a church? I'll always ask, well, where? Where are you going? Because I care for and I want to protect you. Because you being a sheep and I being the shepherd, sometimes use that that, that stick that the shepherds have to wrap it around your neck a little bit and to pull you back where you belong. Because sheep have a tendency to always wander to the back. And when you wander alone to the back, there's always a wolf to jump up to snatch you. And the wolf doesn't have to be just another church. The wolf could be someone, a friend, someone you're in a relationship with, to pull you away from the things of God. It could even be an employer. So we are required to care for you, protect you, and we are also required to discipline you. We love you, and if we didn't care for it, we wouldn't even ask you or tell you anything, but we have to discipline you. I have to be disciplined. If I have overseers, elders. Elder Dave's not here today, but that people that I hope to have to be held accountable to. You as well. If we see you acting in a certain way that you shouldn't be acting, it's the pastor's job to go to you and to correct you. It's my job. It's what I'm required to do. You know, I love you and I love to hang with you. I love to go to your homes and have dinner with you, but I will rebuke you. And then I'm called to guide you guide you it says exercise oversight exercise oversight I'm to look at all of us and look at the church to see if we're growing in the things of God we need to grow in the things of God not under compulsion meaning there's people who want to lead but then there's people who don't want to lead there's people who will say I'm going to lead only because no one else is going to do it If no one else is going to run this ministry, well, guess what? I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. Well, guess what? Don't do it. Don't do it then. That's under compulsion. I've never met someone who says, I'm going to be a pastor, and I'm going to be a pastor because no one's going to do it. And if no one's going to do it, then I'm going to do it. Then don't do it. 
Is she going to be a, pat, a bad leader, a bad someone who, uh, who can't operate fully in the, in the gifts of God because you're not called to pastor then? Not to be, not to do it under compulsion. There's too many of us that are in ministry. That's why we asked you here at Bible study, and we asked you to do this. We asked you, if you don't know what gift that you have, take the spiritual gifts test. It kind of puts you in the ballpark a little bit where then you are able to kind of come to us, talk to us about what your gift is, and then we can put you in ministry. But it's because you want to be in ministry, not under compulsion. Have any of you ever been forced to do something you didn't want to do because somebody didn't want to do it? I think all of us can relate to that. And yet, as soon as somebody else comes along, you you take it. I didn't want it anyway. We're not to approach ministry like that. That doesn't produce healthy leaders, and it doesn't produce a healthy church. There's anybody in ministry who is doing it under compulsion. But it says to do it willingly. Willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, shameful gain. Some people like to be a leader in a church because of what it gives them and what they can get from it. So people would like to lead and operate a church and run a, and run a church because some people like the title of being a pastor. Because they like the title of being a pastor, I think all kind of perks come with it. And because of it, I will, I will become a pastor because of all the things that I can get from it. And I like the attention. I like everything with it. So I will do it for monetary gain. I will do it for other reasons, but it's described here by Peter. You're doing it for shameful gain. I love being your pastor, but it's hard becoming, it's hard being a pastor. If anybody says, I want to be a pastor, then you probably aren't called to be a pastor. You should be running from it. I love being a pastor. It has its perks at times. I get free salsa every now and again. They don't get any better than that. That means after, when I have lunch, I have that salsa to pour it on it. <laughs> but it's so hard being a pastor, but we do it willingly because we love you and I love the chief shepherd and I want to please the shepherd. And so we don't do it for shameful gain, but we do it eagerly. I get excited to study the word of God. Very excited to study the word of God. I love when my brother brings me books. And the way you get smarter is by reading. Yeah. Really, you need to all read. Read. You gain, you gain knowledge and wisdom from books. Great books. A friend of mine brings me books all the time. And I, they tell me, well, how do you know what you know? I said, I read the books of brilliant men that I trust. And I trust the brother that gives me the books so I know that I can read them, study them. But I do it eagerly, not out of compulsion and not for shameful gain. I do it because I'm excited to teach the word of God. Now it says this, not domineering. Pastors, not to be domineering over anybody. I'm not going to pat myself on the back or anything like that. I just, I'm just not that way. I don't want to dominate any of you. There are people who have churches and they run churches. They're dominating over you. They just lord over you. They check your tithing and your giving and they come to you and say, why haven't you been giving? Have you ever had that happen? Dominating, dominating over you and everything that you do. I'm going to lord over you and make assumptions. 
sort of dominating over the flock and we're not to dominate or be domineering over you. We teach here that you need to give and you should give unto God, but that giving is between you and God. Whatever you give is between you and God. It's not for me to go and dominate and be domineering over you and checking on you, but I do sometimes check on you if I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. I just check on you. How you doing? Everything all right? Because I love you and I'm eagerly studying and I want to teach you the word of God. But it says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's no greater example that we have than Jesus in all his humility. We had a class on Friday where we spoke about the humility of Jesus at Bible study. Vocab taught about Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River. He didn't choose a river that had crystal blue water. He, didn't be, he wasn't baptized in the Greek agency. He was baptized in the murky waters of the Jordan River. That's humility. Many of you know what that's like, because I know a lot of you like to go to the river. And the waters aren't so clean. But Jesus decides to identify himself with both you and I, and he is baptized in the Jordan River. Humility, him being God himself, comes to be like us, to be one of us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus leaves the heavens, which he's created, to become like us. That's incredible humility. He is our example. He is our example. And then it says this in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd, church, who is the chief shepherd? Jesus. Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, back then there were Greek games and people received crowns because of their achievement in the athletic games. And they would place a wreath on their heads, and yet that award would fade away. It'll wither. It won't last. But we will receive an award from God that will never fade away because of our humility, our service to God, and the example that he has set before us. And we have never, ever want to abuse the power that God has given us. Too many churches will do that. We receive an unfading, an unfading crown of glory. That's my job. It's my position as leader to make sure that we have a healthy church. It's a tremendous responsibility for me to do these things because not a lot of you want to be cared for. Sometimes you don't want to be protected. Sometimes you don't want to be disciplined. Sometimes you don't want to be guided. Sometimes you don't want these things, but yet I'm called to do these things. And sometimes you won't like me very much. But that's what I'm called to do. So I want to make sure that we have a healthy church. I want to make sure that you're understanding the context of the text and why it was written. Remember, this is, these are for Christians that are scattered in Asia Minor, go to different churches, and they're being attacked. They're being beaten. They're being, some are being executed. Some are being jailed, losing their lands, losing their jobs because of their faith in Christ. But yet, Peter is telling them to remain humble. The leaders of the churches, if this is happening to the flock, what is happening to the elders of the churches? They were being persecuted. They were being arrested. We told you about in the book of Revelation about a pastor 
named Polycarp, who was arrested, who would not burn the incense and, and hail Caesar, Caesar, he would not do it. And so he was arrested, he was offered the chance to renounce this very thing, just burn the incense, some of the people were saying, just hail Caesar, once you'll live. He, he refused to do it, and then he was boiled in oil. He was boiled, he was martyred. But yet we are required through it all to walk with humility, to abide by the things that Jesus teaches us to produce a healthy church. And so it says in this verse here, speaking of you all, because I, I just spoke about myself and my role and what I'm required to do. And just so you know, we are human as well. We, we have the same problems that you have as pastors. We, have, we are not immune to the world's problems. We encounter the ones that you encounter as well. We are flawed people too. We make mistakes as well. And so even after we've made our mistakes, we know that we are to continue in the assignment that God has given us. We are flawed just like all of you. We're not perfect people. Sometimes I can't pay my bills either. Sometimes I'm not feeling very well either. Sometimes my engine blows up too. It happens to all of us. I'm not immune to the world's problems just because I'm the pastor of this church. Matter of fact, it's very hard. It's very hard, but I would never have it any other way. So he says, likewise, speaking all of you, and the point of the sermon number two says, a healthy place of worship will produce a flock with their willingness to follow their shepherd. That produces a healthy church. That you are able to follow the shepherd. Rather than turning against the shepherd, you will follow the shepherd. Verse 5 says, likewise, verse, I'm sorry, you guys know where I'm at. Likewise, you who are younger, that's speaking just to the young kids here. It means you who are younger, you aren't the elder, you are the flock, the group of young people. Be subject to who? The elders, the older, the wiser. Be subject to the elders. When you rebel against the authority that God has placed, then you're really rebelling against God himself. You're not rebelling against me or any of our leaders. You're rebelling against the order of God himself. This is God's order. This is his structure. He cares for his church. He cares for you. He cares for the leaders of the church. He's put some stipulations and some requirements for us to follow so that we can produce a healthy church. But it requires the sheep to follow the shepherd. Follow after the shepherd. Follow after those who are wiser. You will benefit from it. You absolutely will benefit following after the leaders of the church. If they're good leaders, do you think, church, that you have a voice in pointing out some problems with some of the leaders? Do you feel you should? Yes, you should. You should. You should be able to voice your displeasure. You should be able to say some things that you need to speak about to the leaders of the church. You have a voice. You need to be able to speak whatever issue you may have, and we are to discuss it. We are to discuss it so that if we handle it properly, you'll continue 
to following after the shepherd and not become churcher and have your feelings disregarded. And if we turn you away and shut you out, then you will be hurt. We don't want to do that. We want to help you with whatever you are feeling, whatever you are facing. We want to help you with that when it comes to some of our leaders. And that's humility on our part. To be able to listen and to understand that the sheep have a voice and you need to be heard. Then it says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, meaning all of us now, not just the sheep, but also the shepherds are to clothe themselves with, what does it say? Humility. Humility. We are to be humble people. You as well. I'm to be humble. Instead of looking at the negative in people all the time as the sheep, we should view people with the positive parts of their life. Instead of what you, because too many times we look at people, meet people, we immediately look at the negative in them rather than looking at the positive in them and making assumptions about them. We should be able to have humility and feel like they're best, maybe they have good intentions for whatever they're doing. Until you get to know them a little bit more personally, then you can actually find out. But your first impression shouldn't be as one as thinking right away, I don't like that person. I don't want nothing to do with that person. And too many times we respond that way rather than giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt. That's humility on your part. That's why I'm going to talk about the spirit of Jezebel tomorrow because sometimes we meet people and right away they say, I don't like that person. There's a spirit of Jezebel all over that person. <laughs> don't even know that person, but going to play some spirit on them already. And so, have humility. Look at their intentions. Look at the positive in them. That's what you're required to do. That's what I'm required to do. Have humility. But it says, clothe yourselves with this. In the morning you woke up this morning and did you just decide to just throw anything on this morning? No, you didn't. I'm pretty sure you went to your closet and you want to make sure you put on something really nice. And you'll do that tomorrow when you go to work as well. You care about what you wear. This morning I decided to wear my brother's (laughs) t-shirt. Support your ministry. I just can't wear that thick t-shirt that you wear. It's got to be a thin one. But I decided to wear this shirt. And so, in the same way, all of you are required to clothe yourselves with humility when you wake up. Before you go out the door, you are to clothe yourselves with humility. Not pride, but with humility. You clothe yourselves in the same way. You are humble people, be humble people. You're required to be humble, walk with humility. Tells us this very thing. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Then it says this, for God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, meaning he will battle with those who are prideful. God goes to war with those who are full of pride. God doesn't like people who are full of pride because they are about themselves and they are not about God. But we are not selfish people. We are selfless people. We are people who put God first in everything. We give, the, we give God the glory for everything. Even when we're suffering, we give God the glory. We give God the glory. Because God says he opposes the proud. Really, he, he, when, you, when you are prideful, 
you are placing yourselves above everybody else. And whether you like it or not, you are going to be humbled. God will humble you because he opposes your attitude. He opposes this spirit. He opposes one who carries himself with, with full of prideful intentions and in everything that he does. God goes to war with this individual. Points to the sermon in three. It says a healthy church will have leaders that are clothed with humility, not leaders who are prideful. Who are prideful. There's a lot of leaders around that are full of pride. Yeah. And you probably can locate them yeah. because you can't tell them anything. They are full of pride. And so there are plenty of leaders like this. But God goes to war with the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. This is the character of God. His, his grace extended to us. This is the Lord's character. A man of humility. A strong man, a powerful man. We spoke about this at our men's breakfast yesterday. The teaching was speaking about the character of Jesus and his humility, but what kind of man he was and the type of man he was. He was a strong man. He was raised by his father, Joseph. He was a, an apprentice learning carpentry. And they didn't have the tools that they have today back then. So obviously Jesus was very strong. Very strong. Jesus was so strong that after being beaten beyond recognition, battered and bloodied, he carried that old rugged cross up the hill of Calvary, and he carried it after being beaten beyond recognition with no strength. But yet, he must have been a strong man, a powerful man, and he did it for you and me. And he gives grace to us. So that should make you humble. That should make you full of humility. Once again, it says, Close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Finally, the application part. I have three minutes. I'll go over this on the sermon notes. This is what you go home with. This is how you apply it to your life now. It says, All churches have leaders, but the type of leaders that a church has is vital. Pastors should feed the flock. The word. I need to feed you what? The word. This is what's going to sustain you. This is what's going to strengthen you. This is what's going to help you when you are struggling. You should be spiritually fed and have a desire to continue what? To feed yourself. That's why I challenge you. Go home, reread this passage, study these passages, and apply it to your life. Number two, the healthy church is strong spiritually because the flock submits to the shepherd. Who's your shepherd? Jesus, I'm his under shepherd, I'm your shepherd, but Jesus is the chief shepherd. You submit to the ways of God, you submit to the chief shepherd, the senior pastor who is Jesus, study diligently and search the scriptures. Church, will you do that? Will you search the scriptures and study diligently? Number three, leaders and the flock should always remain what? Humble, Humble knowing God sets himself against the proud person and is drawn out for battle. God does not like the prideful person. Kind of like saying to you, if I, tell, if I taught you this here today, in verse 5, and I broke it down to you, what it meant, when the word opposes means set for war, set for battle, against someone who is prideful, that's like almost saying, 
it, it's an accurate saying. It's not a biblical saying. When someone will say that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Have you ever heard that before? It's not true. God will crush the sinner. He abhors those who sin against him. He will destroy them. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross to impute his righteousness unto us because we were going to be destroyed by God. We were enemies of God. We were at war with God. That's why your friends and your loved ones that are, that are in your family, that you know that they don't know God, they are the enemy of God until they hear the gospel and understand they need to be rescued. Because God here himself in the scripture teaches us that the proud, the proud person is drawn out for battle against God. Against God. Let us pray.